Welcome everyone to this week's Sabbath School quarterly commentary. My name is Tom Kent and I'm going to be looking at three simple points that we can learn from this week's lesson, The Resurrection of Moses. There's a lot of deep meaning behind this lesson. There's a lot of connection that we can draw between the resurrection of Moses, the resurrection of Christ, and obviously the type that was of the resurrection of Moses uh, that pointed to the resurrection of God's people when Jesus comes. But what I wanted to do is take a different route today, and I wanted to look at three simple points that we can just apply practically to our lives from the lesson this week. So what I wanted to do is, if you have your Bibles, open with me to uh, Numbers chapter 20. And we're going to read from there, but before we do, I will just have a prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes as we read. Father in heaven, we ask that, yeah, your spirit of truth will lead us into the truth. God, we are so blessed and privileged to be able to study and read your word. And Father, I pray that we can solemnly understand just the messages that you have for us for this end time. Lord, help us to see clearly what you are calling us to. And help us to realize that you're desiring to come back. And Father, that you are calling your people to receive you, Lord, into our lives. So that our lives can be transformed through the grace of Christ. Lord, help us to see clearly your message for us today in Jesus' name. Numbers 20 is a part of the reading for this week's lesson. And it goes over the experience of the... Israelites, when they're in the wilderness and they have no water, and God, someone who has provided constantly for them, is going to provide for them again. But we, what we see is something interesting where Moses, I guess, loses his temper, kind of gets frustrated, gets a little bit over it maybe. And so we're just going to read through and then I'm just going to draw one point from this passage and then we'll move to Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 2. It says here, Then the sons of Israel... The whole congregation came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Verse 4. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into the wretched in this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into 
the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. Interesting. When you read this through, uh, there's a few, there's many different points that we can draw out, but I'm trying to keep this simple and clear. First of all, something that really stands out to me is God's mercy and grace towards the Israelites. He wants to show them something miraculous. He wants to show them his power. He wants Moses to simply speak to this rock so that it'll yield its water. And just imagine the kind of influence, the kind of power that would have amongst the Israelites as it has been before. But what we see here is something interesting with Moses. Does Moses do as the Lord says? No, he doesn't. And the rebuke that the Lord gives to Moses is interesting. He says in verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Something that I find really interesting about this text, and the simple point that I want to focus on for uh, this passage is this. If we truly believe God, and if we truly treat him as holy in our lives, then we will be careful to do the things which he says. Simple point. Even though it's simple though, can you agree with me that maybe this is something that we can apply to our lives? I know for myself, I need to be more careful to do what the Lord says, to follow him. If I, as a Christian, am claiming to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, if I'm claiming to treat God as someone who is holy, then should my life testify of that by being careful to observe what God has called me to through his word. And that goes for all of us who are listening right now, right? Everyone, all Christians. If we are claiming the name of the Lord, then what we are doing also is representing him to the world around us. And how do we represent him? By being careful to be obedient. Some people don't like the idea of obedience. But if we really study scripture, what we find is that obedience to God is actually what he created and designed us for so that we can experience what it really means to live the life that he has called us to live. The abundant life is an abundant life of obedience. This is a side point, but if you look into uh, The Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, a beautiful book by Ellen White, and I can't remember the exact page, but I remember the heading. Ellen White goes through the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically, if you find the place where it talks about the Lord inside the Lord's of Prayer, one of the headings in the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing is as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven. And under this heading, Ellen White goes into detail to talk about when the rebellion broke out of Satan in heaven and that he had broken the law of God. This is crazy. You have to look it up and, and find it to see the exact wording. This is the basic. She says that, the idea that there was a law came to the angels as something unthought of. In other words, what she's saying is that the angels were living in obedience to the law and experiencing true joy and goodness and just the best life that, that you can experience. But when they heard that Satan had broken the law, they didn't even realize that there was a law because law-keeping obedience was so natural in their lives. And that's what God is wanting to reproduce in us through his Holy Spirit, where law keeping becomes a natural desire of a new heart with his law written on it. So friends, the first point that I want to focus on here in Numbers chapter 20 is this. Do you really love the Lord? Are you really treating him as holy? And if you are, 
then you will be careful to obey him. You will be careful to do the things which he says. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 2. A simple verse, which is a part of the lessons reading, but something uh, that really was pointed to me as I was studying this. And I thought to myself, man, this is a needed point. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 2, it says, And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. Moses understood that what he did was wrong. Moses understood that he wasn't careful to do what God was calling him to do. Moses understood that there was consequences to that as well. There are consequences to sin. And Moses understood that God was chastening him. And this was a consequence of uh, his doing. But what I find interesting is this. Moses doesn't try and hide it. Moses doesn't try and push it under the bed. Moses doesn't try and, for the sake of his reputation among the people, try and think that what he did was right. What he's doing here is literally, in his last counsel, he's saying to the people, what I did was wrong, and God has chastened me because of it. And the consequences is that I won't be able to go in and see this land that God has promised us. But check this out. This is so, this is hectic. And this is the simple point, the second point here that I want to draw upon in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 2. Even after he understood and recognized the consequences, even after, after Moses was chastened by the Lord, he believed, he understood, he trusted that even with the consequences, it was still better to follow the Lord. It was still better to do what God said. It's still better to keep following God. It was still better to, even though there was this humiliation, to show, yes, that's what I did. That was wrong. His reputation. He didn't care about his reputation. He cared about following the Lord. He didn't care about what the people of Israel thought. He cared about what God thought. Is it the same for us? When we are chastened by the Lord, when we are disciplined by God, do we try and hide that? from other people to show that we we have it all together or do we humbly recognize yeah i am being disciplined by the lord yeah it's painful for moses this is something that he's been leading the people of israel for years and years and this was the climactic experience it was about to happen and as a result of his sin he wasn't able to enter but the influence and the message that moses gave to israel was that when you are disciplined Keep holding on to the Lord because there is nothing else better than staying in connection with God. Even amidst the pain of uh, this consequence, Moses understood that it was better to keep following the Lord. It was better to stay close to Him. It was better to be humbled than to miss out on not only this land, but the land that God is promising us uh, when we can dwell with him forever in the new earth. That's the second point there. Are we too worried about our own reputation? Or when we make mistakes and are disciplined by God, are we willing to acknowledge them and still choose to be faithful to God and walk with him? Or do we try and hide it? Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is the death of Moses. So just to recap really quickly, lesson one we found in Numbers chapter 20, we were talking about Moses' sin. And the, the first lesson, the first point that we draw out is simply this. If we choose to treat God as holy, if we really love him, if we really acknowledge him as our God, are we being careful to follow the things that he says in his word? Are we being careful to obey? Uh, which is something 
he gives us strength to do. And you can read that in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. 27 specifically says uh, that he will give us his Holy Spirit after he's given us a new heart. And the Holy Spirit will cause us to walk in his ways. The second point we read in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 2. And the point was simply this. We so caught up about our own reputation, about what people think, or will we, like Moses, acknowledge when we have done wrong and choose to be an example of a son or a daughter of God, a child of God? Children of God are disciplined by him. They are chastened by him. But even then, we choose to follow him because no matter the consequences of our sins, the best thing is to be in right standing with God. And now we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 34, and we're just going to read from verses 1 to 12. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Neg- Negev, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Beer. But no man knows his burial place to this day, although Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. This was it. This was the death of Moses. God leads him up. And he can see the land. He gets to see it all. He gets to see all the different sections for Ephraim and Manasseh, for Naphtali and so on. But God doesn't let him pass over. And he even reminds him. God says to Moses, hey, this is the promise. This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. But then Moses dies. And what's powerful about this is when we link this passage to Jude 9. And in Jude 9, if you follow me there, we have a beautiful truth, a beautiful kind of climax that is so powerful, right, for this sad passage in in Deuteronomy. Jude verse 9 says this, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing of judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. God rose, God raised Moses from the dead. And when he was doing this, there was a disputation with the devil. But the Lord just simply says, the Lord rebuke you. And Moses, even though he wasn't able to enter into the promised land, he was able to enter into the true promised land. He went to heaven, he was resurrected, and he is is now currently in heaven. This is pretty powerful. This is pretty a hectic kind of way to, to finish off 
the lesson, but it's a powerful reminder. And this is the last point that I want to draw out, and it's, it's out of Deuteronomy chapter 34. The promises that God gives us for today on this earth, they're beautiful, they're amazing. So often in my own life, I've experienced answers to prayer where God has shown himself faithful to me. And there has been beautiful things that come as a result. And they're beautiful. They're, they're things that are amazing. And, and it makes life on this earth a blessing. But the greater blessing for Moses, which he experienced, which he probably didn't even realize he was going to experience. We don't know that, but I assume that he didn't even realize was that he would be resurrected and he would be spending the rest of this time, even now as we are alive here today, in the presence of God. The promises and the blessings on this earth are nice and they're good, but they're nothing in comparison to the things of heaven. Now, the point that I want to draw out of Deuteronomy chapter 34 is this. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? It's not a bad thing that they were going into uh, this promised land. It was a promise of God. This is what God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was the fulfillment of the promise. It was beautiful. It was powerful. This land was going to be lush, filled with, overflowing with milk and honey. It was a joy. But you know what we find if we continue reading through Scripture? This blessing became a curse. Why? If you read Judges chapter 1 and 2, what you find is because of compromise, these Israelites that went into this land ended up forgetting God and worshipping other idols in the land where they were promised, where the blessings were. But if they had taken their eyes off the things of this earth, even the blessings that God had provided and kept their eyes and their focus fixed on Christ and fixed on their connection with Him, the blessings on earth would have been more fruitful, would have been more joyful. And so this is the point, because I think this is so important, especially for the time that we're living in, especially in the context of the Laodicean church. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Laodicean church is the seventh church mentioned in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Laodicea is a description of God's end-time people. And now, if you're just saying that, just thinking about that, you would think to yourself, wow, I wonder, it must be a pretty good description, right? The people who are waiting for Christ's return. I'm sure that this church is vigorously studying their Bible. I'm sure that this church is prayerfully considering the scriptures and prayerfully seeking the Lord day and night. Oh man, surely this church is prepared for Christ to come again. But what does scripture say in Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 22? The scriptures tell us that this church is in a state where God is ready to vomit it out of his mouth. It's neither cold nor hot. It's lukewarm half-hearted, it's wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They haven't experienced a true and deep experience with God that prepares them to be ready for Christ's coming. Christ is knocking on the door, it says in uh, Revelation 3 verse uh, 20, I believe. He's knocking and he's calling. He's saying, repent, be zealous therefore and repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. It's a message of repentance to God's church. And what a rebuke that is to us today. God's message for us, for you and for me, is repent. Why? Because we're double-minded. We're, we have half our heart here and half our heart with Christ. But that's not how it works. Christ needs our whole heart. Christ needs our full devotion. Friends, where are you looking? Are you looking on the things down here below? Are you looking on... Yeah, maybe they were the blessings that God has given to you in your life. But are you 
taking those blessings and mixing them up on the priority list. Sometimes we take the blessings that God has given us and we put them as the first priority when really God needs to be our first priority. Seeking Him, see, studying His words, committing it to, scripture, uh, to memory, obeying it, meditating on the law day and night, walking with Christ day by day. That's our first priority. But oftentimes we put other things in that first priority slot. And to our destruction it will be. Where are you looking? The Bible says, and I'll finish on this, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 12, I believe, there's a rebuke. And it's something that links straight into the Laodicean church. Luke chapter 12, I believe. Luke chapter 12, and we're looking at verse 16. Now, this is a parable uh, that Christ told, and I'm sure many of you will be uh, aware of it. It says uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Friends, are we storing up treasures for ourselves? Are we looking on the things here on the earth and are we trying to increase them and thinking to ourselves, Ah, man, this is great. Life is going good. You know what? I'm starting to increase more and more in my life. I need to build bigger barns. And that may be for things of produce. That may be for things of finances. It can be anything. You're increasing on this earth. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I just need to take my ease. I can eat, drink, and I can be merry. But God says to us, be aware, be warned. Because as it was with this man, God said, you fool. Hey, this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Friends, are we storing up treasure for ourselves? Are we keeping our eyes fixed on the things of this earth? Or are we rich toward God? A few verses down, he continues this thought. Christ continues this thought in verse 35. He says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. And check this out. Think of the wording. Just take note of the wording here. So that they might, may, immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Now, who's the master? It's Christ. Is there a time in Scripture where He is coming to us and He is knocking? Yes, the Laodicean church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That's the message in Laodicea. Now here, Christ is likening this point to Laodicea. He's saying, hey, be like people who are waiting for their master, who are dressed in readiness, who keep their lamps lit. And when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door immediately when he knocks. Friends, are you struggling to open the door immediately when Christ is knocking on the door of your heart? Maybe you're holding off. Maybe you're thinking, ah, look, I just really need to focus on this part of my life. I just really want to make sure I do this with my life. And then I just want to go through all these goals and then I'll give my heart to Jesus fully. Friends, that's foolish. It's very foolish. And that will end in destruction. And the message that Christ has for us is repent. 
Open the door immediately now. Whatever's stopping you from opening the door to Christ, you need to remove it. You need to repent of it. You need to turn away from it and come to Christ. Come to Him broken as you are and and fall at His feet with tears in your eyes and praise Him for His goodness and His mercy and grace towards you. Just as this man was storing up goods here on earth because his focus was on the things below, he wasn't opening the door immediately when Christ was knocking on his heart. And the same will be for us if we follow in the footsteps here in this parable. For Moses, it was a terrible thing that he wasn't able to go into the wilderness. Ah, sorry. (laughs) It was a terrible thing that he wasn't able to go into the promised land. But you know, his focus wasn't on the land. Although he was looking and he saw all the promised uh, land there and all the different parts to it, his focus was on God and he trusted him. And even though he wasn't able to experience the promised land, he died with his faith rooted and grounded in Christ. And God gave him something so much better. Friends, where is our focus? Is it on the things below or is it on the things in heaven where Christ dwells? sitting at the right hand of God. Friends, set your focus. Look to Christ. The Bible tells us, look up, seek Christ, look to Him. The Bible tells us again in, in, in John chapter 3, this whole idea with Christ and the cross, it's this, this idea of look and live. Just keep your focus on Christ at all times. Friends, this is the appeal as we come to a close on this quarter. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Don't think about the things here below. And just to recap, the three points that we've learned from this short commentary is this. Number one, if we love God and we treat Him as holy in our lives, we ought to be careful of the things that He is calling us to, to obey them. Number two, we shouldn't care about our reputation. And we should have follow in the example of Moses, that when Christ rebukes us, when He chastens us, when He disciplines us, We should acknowledge it. And no matter what the consequences are, being in a right standing with God is more important. Even it doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter when people look at your life and they say, what are are you doing with your life? That's foolish because you know what? The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But like Moses, he acknowledged his, his sin. He acknowledged the consequences and he chose to stay close to God. And the last point that we just looked at was this. Where... Are we looking? Moses, although he would have loved to go into the promised land, he trusted God and kept looking to Christ. And he died in faith. And God gave him something much better. And God is doing the same for us. He blesses us in our lives. And there are many blessings in this earth that we're living in. But friends, this earth is not our home. Christ is coming very soon. The things of this earth are unsettled. The signs are definitely like birth pains, which are getting closer and closer together and more and more intense. Christ is coming soon. And where are we setting our focus? If it's not on Christ, then as it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Destruction is coming, friends. But when we have our focus set on Christ, when we have our faith in Him, we have nothing to fear because He, he has our best interest at hand. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you are a merciful God, that you are gentle with your people, that you are patient, Lord, for years and years. You bore long with those in the wilderness, those Israelites, and Lord, you do the same for us, and it's even to a greater extent than we understand. You've been waiting. You've been ready to come back. But Father, your people have been in a state, a Laodicean state, which is vomit-worthy. And Father, in your mercy, in your tender grace, in your love, you have bore long with us. But Lord, I pray that you will forgive us, 
that you'll give us a deeper experience of repentance and that we can set our focus on you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer, not because we are worthy, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And Father, I just pray for all who are listening. Lord, give us the power, the strength to walk in your ways, to set you as the focus of our lives and not to be cared about what anyone else thinks. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings, guys.